0: Good morning. My name is Marian Osborne. Our scripture reading is from Matthew 5. Jesus said, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot, Truly, I say to you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than your whole body go into hell. The word of the Lord. Be
1: to God. Good morning again. Uh, if you were not here just about three minutes ago, I already welcomed you. Um, I'm Johnny Kersina, the lead pastor here at Christ Church Vienna, and if you are visiting with us or have not been with us because you've been traveling or the whole online thing is not your favorite thing, um, don't worry, today we're not live streaming because we weren't able to get it to, to connect. Um, In addition, if you haven't been with us, we uh, have been looking at the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus' famous teaching in Matthew 5, 6, and 7, where he lays out his kingdom purposes for his disciples. It's basically Jesus saying, hey, God is entering this world in me, and a new thing is happening, and I'm inviting you in. But when we read it, we don't necessarily think about it that way. What I want to do is really just jump right into it, and this passage has a lot of stuff. It's pretty heavy. But um, I think there's an invitation to freedom and joy that Jesus is inviting us into even as we look at a passage that feels a little heavier. So the first thing to look at is Jesus saying uh, the classic phrase at the beginning of verse 21 and 27 where he says, you've heard it said, but I say. So Jesus says, you've heard it said, do not commit murder. You've heard it said, do not commit adultery. And what he's doing is he's referencing the Ten Commandments. You know, do not murder, do not commit adultery, steal, lie, etc. And he's saying, you've heard it said, the Old Testament moral law. But I say, but I say, and he goes on to say, if anyone is angry with his brother or sister or insults them, literally uses this word called raka, which was a weird word. Most, uh, many translations just keep the word raka in because nobody knows what it means. But then commentators suggest that it means something like a nothing, a, a, an empty nothing, Raka was literally suppo- supposed to be the sound that you made when you were trying to clear your throat to spit. So you're not, only this, you're not even as high enough level to be considered spit, you're just the sound that comes out when I'm trying to do that. So if you're angry, if you're demeaning, or if you uh, call them a fool or if you're holding a grudge against them, that's as bad as murder. You've heard it said, do not commit uh, uh, adultery, but I say if you look at a woman with lustful intent, you've already committed adultery in your heart. And Jesus is here pushing on the external and the internal. And what we see is Jesus does not relax the external Old Testament law. So if you go back and read the Bible, many people say, okay, that was the Old Testament, we now live in the New Testament. And there is a lot of truth in the goodness that Jesus brings in the New Testament, but the moral and ethical law of the Old Testament continues on. When he says do not murder, still stands today. When he says do not commit adultery, he's laying out a standard that the Bible held, and Christianity has always held, which is that sex is meant to be between a husband and wife, a man and a woman, in a lifelong covenant of marriage. That's it. Jesus says, I'm not relaxing these things, but I'm pushing them deeper and further. Deeper and further. Jesus does not toss out the Old Testament law, but he actually deepens it and redraws it around him. Saying, yes, the moral law is still there, and I want you to follow me. Live out the fullness of what you're being called into by following me completely. If he were going to be saying it today, um, he might push on us to say, look, you've heard it said in our culture, you've heard it said, everyone is allowed to do whatever they know or believe to be true. We live in a culture that says personal liberty. Find yourself, define yourself, do whatever makes you happy. And Jesus might say, you've heard it said, go find yourself. You've heard it said, do whatever makes you happy, as long as you're not harming anybody. But I say, follow me in everything. Follow me completely, totally, exhaustively in everything. And then you will find your true identity. You will find the freedom you're looking for. You'll find the life that you're made for. So Jesus says, do not commit murder, do not commit adultery, do not even have angry thoughts or disdainful thoughts or hold a grudge or have lustful intent. But the problem is, in my experience, I've looked back on this a couple of years, there's a phrase that comes to my head when I think about how we tend to treat other people. We tend to treat other people as a threat or a commodity. A threat is somebody who is going to attack me or take away what's valuable to me. A commodity is something I use to benefit me. And we look at all people by nature as threats or commodities. According to some of my family, I have at times lost my temper. (laughs) Because, as I look back on it, because my family, or my friends, or anybody that I'm spending time with is ultimately a threat, a threat to my plans, my timing, my control, my freedom, my autonomy, doing things when I want, how I want, in the way that I want. Any other person is going to impinge on that, and therefore they are a threat. You lose your temper when you feel threatened. Taking it to the deeper level, of course, we live in political uh, polarization at at greater levels than I've seen in my lifetime, for sure. And it's a culture of hostility and disdain. It's not just I disagree with you and think you're wrong, it's I think you are... (laughs) You're just the sound that comes out when I'm spitting. We treat the other side, whoever that is, Democrats, Republicans, conservatives, liberals, or you can push on any other social issues, with disdain because they're a threat. If you hold a certain set of values to be very valuable, you can't hold them and respect somebody who disagrees with you. They're a threat. So anger, disdain comes up. In lust, we do the other thing, which is called commodifying people. We make them a commodity. She is here for my pleasure, my needs, my wants. And of course, that's at its most extreme in internet stuff. I'll just leave it at that because of our culture in here right now, different ages. But basically, what is internet stuff? It is physical bodies, for my pleasure, with no relationship. No pushing on me. It's me getting what I want and a complete objectifying of the other person as if they do not exist as a human being made in God's image. And this is not what this sermon's about, but if you have stepped into that, and especially if you're under 22, step out of it, tell somebody, tell a leader, tell somebody you can trust, a family member, because it is addictive, and it will change your view of humanity, of the person that you're attracted to, and you will not be able to step into the fullness of life that you're meant to live. I Borrowing pretty heavily from um, Tim Keller in this next little illustration where he talked about how we take sex as either consumerists or covenantal. The consumerist mindset is the mindset that our culture has had for 20, 30, 40 years. The consumerist mindset is the vendor-client relationship, okay? So let's say you have, hypothetically, a hairdresser that you have a relationship with, right? If you have a hairdresser and you've been to them for a while, you have a relationship with them. But that relationship is only so much or only so far as they make you happy. Their prices are good. They meet your needs. And you're always shopping. If somebody says, oh, where'd you get your hair done? And, and you tell them, then they might come to your hairdresser, right? Because they're shopping. And as a hairdresser, you're always marketing, selling, pushing, trying to maintain the relationship. We do that in romantic love in our culture when we think about it consumeristically. There's a relationship, sure, but when the covenant of marriage is not there, you're always shopping for a better deal. You're always looking for more service. And if you don't meet my needs, I'll go find it somewhere else. And on the flip side of that, we're always marketing ourselves. Always selling, always performing. Even if you've been in a relationship for a long time. The opposite of that is the biblical narrative that Jesus is laying out in part here. And that is a covenantal view of romantic relationship. It is about promises and commitment before God and humanity. And those promises and commitment are described as marriage. And in that marriage covenant, there is safety and security. You know where you stand. You're not always trying to market yourself. You're not looking for a better deal. It's already done. And instead of saying, you need to adjust to me, in marriage you say, I will adjust to you. I will meet your needs in sickness and in health till death do us part because I promised. And in that place of safety and security, you're free to be naked and unashamed, not just physically, but emotionally, spiritually, in all of your strengths and weaknesses. Jesus is inviting us into safety and security and being known at a level that we really long to be known. He's inviting us into the kingdom life. In the kingdom, Jesus says, we don't view others as a threat or a commodity, but as God's treasure. The law of God, the the law of God elevates humanity. It elevates people, all people, and says they are filled with dignity and worth, regardless of their abilities, regardless of their age, from from Conception to natural death, you have absolute value and dignity regardless of your talents, regardless of your, your beauty, regardless of how many other people like you or not. God values you with infinite value, and that's what God's law does. It, it identifies people as his treasure, made in his image. Jesus, you see... He's trying to free us in these things. He's inviting us to follow him at a deeper level, and he's trying to free us from bondage to fear and our appetites and our wants, all the things that we're kind of playing on in our threat and commodity mentality. He's trying to free us from our brokenness, our broken history, even our broken bodies, our broken genetics. Do you know anger... um, there's a gene for anger that um, you can have a messed up gene. So you can have variations in, I'm going to use the phrase as if I know what I'm talking about, variations in serotonin receptor genes. So when you have variations in your serotonin receptor genes, you're more likely to struggle with anger or temper. You can't control it as well. And on the flip side of that, people who have been studying how um, social media works in particular have found that, Outrage on social media triggers triggers the same sort of thing that um, internet romance triggers, dopamine rush in your head. You get a dopamine rush with outrage and anger. It feels good to be angry. And so the sphere where you have no relationship with people and can be completely outraged and get dopamine rushes increases the anger and hostility in our culture. But just because I might have a serotonin receptor gene that's not working very well, does that excuse me having anger? We would naturally say, well, no, of course not. But think about the implications of that. You know, the Christian message is this. Jesus Christ came to redeem us, to set us free, to make us new again. But we live in a fallen and broken world, and every one of us is sinful. Our fallen and brokenness is our spiritual state, but it's also our every other state. If you didn't notice, your body is breaking down. I have arthritis in my knee, I have degenerative discs in my back, and I am 45. That is a fall, that is a curse. My body is breaking down, our souls are broken down, our genetics are broken down, My wiring is not my determination. My wiring is how I am physically made in this fallen and broken world that is longing for the redemption that is already being revealed in Jesus and will one day be revealed in full. And when Jesus says, come and follow me and live this way, I can't just say, but that's not how I like to do it, or it doesn't make me happy, or that's not how I'm wired, because I acknowledge that even my very body is broken. So of course my genetics are broken, my spirit is broken, my emotions are broken, but Jesus is in the business of redeeming all of it. The kingdom of God that he's inviting us into is an upside down kingdom. The capable, the honored, the successful are out, but the poor in spirit, those who uh, are meek and are mourning, The persecuted, they're the ones who are in, and it's also an inside out. It's not just your outward actions that Jesus is after, like, hey, you should probably stop killing other people, like literally stop murdering people, okay? Jesus is also concerned with our heart, our emotions, our thought life, our motives, our desires, our longings. The things we trust and love. How we view other people. You know, what's interesting is the word that Jesus uses for, um, to, to have a lustful intent is not the normal word for it. It's actually the word, uh, the Greek word epithumia. And all of you guys have heard me talk about epithumia. Thumia is the word desire. Epi is over or greater than. So it's like a real desire. It's a, my greatest desire, my primary desire, my, my ultimate desire is what an epithumia is. It's also used of coveting, idolatry and greed. Think about the way epithumia works for greed. Greed is a love of money for the sake of you. Now money is in and of itself a normal thing, it's how we have currencies, how we make money, buy things, you know, kind of keep an economy going. Money in and of itself is not evil, but a desire for money for your own good is the definition of greed. It's looking to the things that you can get with money, whether it's the bigger, the better, the newer, the pleasures you can purchase or the safety and security because you've stocked it away. What you're doing with money in that case is making it your functional savior. Your desire is for something and you've placed it in and on money. That's what greed is. And Jesus is saying we can do the same thing with other people. That's what lust is. It's an epithumia, a desire for somebody else to use them for yourself in the way that you want to get what you're really after. And Jesus is saying, I care about your heart, your epithumias, and I have so much more for you. Will you come to me? Will you walk with me into these things? You know, to kind of give the flip side, so there's a lot of negative in that front half here, no murder, no adultery, and all the no internals, et cetera. But the flip side of any of the commandments is the positive version of what Jesus or God is inviting us into. And of course, we get this in the summation of the law. When Jesus says, uh, is asked, what's the sum of the commandments, the laws, what's the greatest one? And he says, love God, love your neighbor. And even here, that's what Jesus is inviting us into the sum of the law is love God and love your neighbor. If you love your neighbor, you don't murder them. It's pretty simple. Play that out on every other way. But also, if you love God, you actually love what God loves. You know what's interesting about somebody who's been in a long term relationship or has kids, like if you're married or have kids, you end up loving the things that the people that you love, love. So, You can start loving football when you never watch football. Zombie movies, even though you hate zombie movies beforehand. You start going to ballet recitals and then liking ballet. You do all sorts of things you would never do. And it's not because you're not yourself anymore. It's because you love somebody else and you want to be a part of their life. And you begin to love the things they love. When we love God, we begin to love the things he loves. The law of God, do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not lie, and all the rest of God's moral law reveals God's loves. It reveals God's character, his nature. This is what I'm like. It reveals his view of humanity. I care about people. Do not murder them. I care about people. Do not devalue their bodies. And it reveals God's purposes, his ends for creation, where it's all going one day. Do not steal. Why? Because God is a generous, generous God. He will provide for you. Do not steal. Trust me. I am a generous God. I give all I have. I even gave my son for you. And I want to lavish my eternal graces on you throughout eternity. Do not steal. Love what I love. And if we love what God loves, we will actually give ourselves to other people for their good. We'll give ourselves wholly and completely, to other people for their good. Willing to lose, to surrender our place, our rights. We will not take advantage of our own power, our strength, our resources for our own good, but always lay them out for others. So Jesus is inviting us to move from do not commit adultery, do not lust, to honor, serve, give yourself to other people without expecting anything in return. He's calling us to move from do not murder, do not hate, do not disdain, do not hold bitterness against people, all these things are still true, into value, protect, heal other people. So how do we do it? Where do you get the power to not be angry or dismissive or lustful, and instead to honor and protect even the unlovable? to commit to and serve somebody who maybe can't give you anything in return. Or if you're in a marriage, as they age or get sick, they can't keep giving you anything in return. How do you do it? We can't. But there was one who did. Jesus said, I have come not to abolish the law, but to fulfill the law and the prophets. Jesus perfectly obeyed the Father, He obeyed all the commands. He loved the Father with everything and loved each of us to the end. And in the end, he was considered raka. He was disdained, rejected, hated. He was objectified, abused, and murdered in our place. And I think one thing I want you to hear today is if you have been the victim of being rejected, disdained, cut off, you've been the victim of abuse. Jesus knows what that is like, and he wants to heal you. Trust him with your area of woundedness. If you're an offender, if you're somebody who's lost your temper numerous times, if you're dealing with addiction, if you've hurt and used people. Jesus offers forgiveness of everything you've done, everything you've ever done. Confess. Confess to Him and to those you've hurt. And anyone in here who struggles with sin, everyone in here who struggles with sin, which is everyone, lust, temper, holding a grudge, looking down on others, wanting ill for others. The power to step out of that is reminding yourself and going back again and again to the fact that Jesus loves you. Jesus loves you. Go to him and be filled. Go to him and be filled. Let him fill you and don't go to these other thumias. When we put our faith in and follow Jesus wholly, he's inviting us into the divine life the kingdom life, the resurrection life now. When we trust Jesus, his spirit renews us, frees us, and empowers us to live out his kingdom purposes for our lives. He has a plan for you, for me. He uniquely made you for something in to eternity, and it may not be what you think or feel. Go to him and live out the fullness of that resurrection life now. No longer needing to steal affirmation, or power, or pleasure, or joy from other people, no longer needing to defend yourself from them, but free to love them as Jesus loved you, to become who he has redeemed you and me to be. Let us pray. God, when we look at the laws of God, whether they're the external or the internal, it feels like too much. We feel guilty and ashamed because we all struggle with these things or have been hurt badly by others in them. Show us your grace this morning. Reveal to us your love for us. Give us the courage to talk to others and to trust you and step into the kingdom life, the resurrection eternal life, even now. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.